Hey guys, welcome back to our podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Josh. And I love my coffee. With a splash of crime. Hey Erica, how was your week? Good, how was yours? It was good, you know, same old, same old. Your coffee looks absolutely amazing. What are you drinking? Oh, it's really good. I am drinking my usual, which is a venti coffee from Starbucks. And it has toffee nut and white mocha. And then I just get it with half and half and it's so freaking good. Sounds addicting. This week, I'm drinking a basic latte. It's oat milk and one pump of vanilla and a shake of cinnamon. Mm, that looks, or as Hunter says, bam. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week I have a really interesting case. I am super duper excited to share with you. It's interesting because it's almost like she predicted it herself. And we'll get more into that later, but I'm super excited to share with you guys. So with that being said, I'll jump right into it. On December 3rd, 1998, in a small town in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin, the police were called to a resident's home to find a woman named Julie Jensen face down on her bed. At first, they suspected to be a natural cause of death, but this is where the questions begin and seem to be a bit more clear as this investigation begins. This is the murder of Julie Jensen. Let me give you a little bit of a character backstory. Julie Jensen, she was 40. She worked as port authority, which I'm guessing she patrolled the ports. That's all I can find with all my sources and everything. It was just like a part-time, simple, easy job. She had two kids. Her two kids were Dave and Doug, and they were... Super young. Everywhere online says they were different ages, which was kind of weird. One said six and seven, but then somewhere else said 11 and 12. So I couldn't find anything that was substantial. And when Dateline actually did something on it, they didn't even mention the kids' ages. They, well, they just weren't that important in the story? Yeah, they really aren't. So I'm guessing that's why there were so many different sources on it. And everybody was just like, oh, the kids were this age or whatever makes sense I'm, I'm wondering if they you know every time somebody reports so say if they're like oh at this age at the court case they were this age and at the murder they were this age and when they interviewed them they were this age and then it gets all confused and people try to report it and they don't know what age it is and they're just like oh they were young well they were teenagers i yeah, think that's like, what happens yeah i'm assuming that's what happens, especially because they're not that important Exactly. They're not very important in the case. As everybody just knows, she has two kids. Her husband, his name is Mark, and he worked at a construction firm. He was also 40 years old, and they were married for a total of 18 years. Those construction workers. (laughs) Bad influences. (laughs) So they were married for a long time. They met in grade school, actually, and they stayed together the entire time, and they went to college together. He ended up actually graduating college, and... She ended up dropping out. She went for nursing school, but she ended up dropping out a semester right before she graduated because she was too invested in the patient's cases. So she was like, I can't do this. I'm just too invested in these people's lives to continue to like go into nursing. That makes sense. So it was just affecting her a lot. I feel like it does take a certain type of person to become a nurse because you have to be able to separate your personal life from your work life. Yes. I think with any medical field or anything, even police investigations, I feel like you have to like have that fine line where you can't get into it. And that's why I could never do it because I feel way too bad to like handle that. I think that's how I would be also. I I care too much. (laughs) 
So they were together for 18 years. And it's crazy because I think after 18 years, you learn so much about your partner or your significant other. So you can almost pick up on stuff before they can even pick it up themselves. And that's kind of what happens here is people can pick up on stuff before you even pick it up is... In this case, Mark actually was starting to tell all of Julie's friends, families, co-workers that he felt like she was starting to get depressed. As people approached Julie, at first she ended up kind of declining, like, oh, I'm not depressed, I'm not depressed. But he was still going around town kind of telling everybody, like, oh, she's depressed, she's getting depressed. And Mark had noticed her signs of depressions previously, way back when, when their first son was postpartum depression. He actually noticed that she was starting to get like just depressed over time and she kind of just mentally worked through it and he kind of supported her the best way that he could when it came down to her depression. That makes sense because I feel like with depression, everybody's obviously different, but sometimes you don't even realize you're depressed until after you look back and you're like, wow, I was really depressed at that time. No, exactly. And even for me, when I, I don't realize I'm depressed until it's almost way into depression I'm like whoa or even like years later when I've already worked out of it I'm like whoa I was super depressed at that time yeah for sure so with that being said with him telling everybody that she was depressed they had a conversation and he was like you're starting to get depressed I recommend you go see a family doctor and for this I thought it was super weird because when she was telling her friends and family that she wasn't depressed I wonder if he almost like forced her to go to this psychiatrist or family doctor because as somebody who didn't want to deal with the depression prior and kind of was like, oh, I don't want to do it. And I think her having the nursing experience that she had, I think she knew the effects of it, of certain medications. So I don't think she wanted to get on anything. She actually ended up getting on something as soon as he began speaking to her so many different times about depression. It's weird because I don't know their relationship, but I feel like it's a fine line between somebody just saying, oh, hey, you know what? I think you're depressed and really being concerned about that person and then being like, hey, you're depressed and being it more like narcissism, like, oh, you're being this or that way, like you're being grumpy, you must be depressed, you need to see a doctor. Or I don't know the context of it, but I could see in a relationship, especially being together for that long, if he's a narcissist, I could see why he would be placing the blame for different things in their relationship on her. I can say that as well. And it it was weird to me to like have them to research this case and to have him almost like make her go, I feel like. And I'll get a little more into that later, how it gets kind of suspicious. You'll start to see like where things kind of go differently. I mean, it already sounds kind of suspicious to me because I just can't imagine somebody trying to force you to go to the doctors and deal with your depression instead of just kind of helping you work through it. It just seems kind of weird to me. I agree. This is when the problem started to begin. In the summer of 1998, Mark actually ended up starting a new job, but this different construction firm, and it was good. So he started at the very, very beginning of summer, so around May or June. And then in August of 1998, he actually ended up telling Julie that she was a bad influence on the family and her kids. And oh, wow, that's nice. She, that she needed to reevaluate her thoughts and she ne- really needed to reevaluate her decisions because she was just a bad example. Soon, them fighting so much 
everybody started to notice, all of their family and friends. Eventually, with all of these issues, she actually ended up confessing to one of her son's third grade teacher that she was worried that her husband was going to kill her. She didn't have any relationship with this teacher. She didn't have anything. She just had weird suspicions that her husband was going to kill her wow, at the beginning of their school really year. scary. She was going through the house one day. Sometime between the beginning of the school year and the middle, she ended up finding a list of drugs next to her husband's computer and it was just a bunch of different drugs and poisons and it's when it really started to go in her head and drive her crazy having the list of drugs that seemed super suspicious yeah that's really that is really scary that's crazy i can't imagine finding something like that and not knowing what they're for or who they're for but feeling like her life was in danger but it's also kind of weird because usually it's women that will poison people not men I know, exactly. It's completely crazy to me. Then she was on the phone with her neighbor. She, her and her neighbor were really good friends. They would always chat each other up. And she ended up actually talking to her neighbor. And she was like, I, I think I'm in danger. I don't know what to do. I'm stuck in this situation. No matter what I do, the outcome isn't good. And her neighbor had suggested that she go to a women's shelter and she leave him. She was like, if you're so worried about your life, why don't you just leave the man? She had confessed to her neighbor that she had spoke to Mark about her decision and if she were to try to leave him. And he basically told her that if she ever tried to leave him or do anything, he would make her sound crazy and make her sound like she was a complete lunatic. And I think it was this way so she wouldn't take the kids. Honestly, I was going to say that earlier and then I lost my train of thought. But I was thinking the way that he was telling everybody that she was depressed sounded like he was preparing everyone to already think that she the crazy one like premeditating something because if your wife is depressed you're not gonna go to everybody and tell them that she's depressed that just seems kind of crazy if she was gonna kill herself going to her mom and being like hey can you talk to her i'm concerned that's one thing but going to everybody and being like oh she's just depressed oh she's just crazy oh she's just doing this or that that sounds to me like he's already trying to put the blame on her for everything exactly and to me He's like setting up the scene. That's exactly how it sounds to me. So after all this, this is when more questions just arise. Now we're going to go a little bit into the crime scene. And this is where the investigation gets a little murky. So we still don't have any answers to anything of why he's doing anything, why he's saying anything. And other thing, after he was going around town telling everybody she was depressed and making her sound totally crazy, he ended up... I think he was gaslighting her and being a narcissist. Well, I mentioned before that he was very good friends with her neighbor and her husband. So they were they were good friends. They were neighbors. And she ended up actually giving a letter three weeks before her death to the neighbor. She didn't tell the neighbor what the contents of the letter were. But all she said was, if anything happens to me, give this letter to the cops. And the first suspect is my husband. That's freaking crazy. That is so scary. No, I couldn't imagine feeling trapped in your own home and then have to like cry for help. But you can't really even do anything because you're stuck. Imagine being that neighbor. Like, okay, perfect. I'll put it under my bed. No worries. Yeah, just go stash it in the shoebox in the closet. Get it out when you're ready. So when you're dead, I'll, I'll remember where it's at. I'd oh. be like, if you think you're going to die, honey, like you have a friend like where's your mom where's her mom where's her family like you don't have to go to a homeless shelter women's shelter just where's her family exactly like why is nobody helping this poor woman and i, I just i couldn't imagine 
And I'm sure he didn't even want the kids. He just didn't want to pay child support. That or he just wanted them because she had them. She wanted them. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that too. Or if they got divorced and alimony and child support and all these different things, I'm sure he wouldn't want her to leave because he would lose everything, you know? Plus they'd have to fight for the house. So he'd probably have to move. Yeah, for sure. So I want to dip into the crime scene. This is when it gets weird. It was already weird, but this is when it gets real weird. Okay, I'm ready for it. So on the night of her death, he ended up actually calling 911. Okay. They were in bed together, and he claimed when he called 911 that he woke up and his wife was unconscious. She wasn't waking up, tried shaking her, wasn't waking up. Okay. And when when the police got there, she was face down on her bed, face in pillow. Okay, that's weird. She's not a baby. This isn't sick. It's like, why is she face down? I have a stomach sleeper, but I do not sleep with my face in the pillow. <laughs> no, I'm really not going to. Shit. <laughs> yeah. It'll make it too easy for Joel to just come from behind. <laughs> just Boom. sneak attack. <laughs> just end it all. So that was the first suspicion and of course when they looked at the crime scene there was no signs of struggle it just looked like they went to bed that night and she decided she was going to sleep with her face in the pillow are you looking at pictures of her yeah i just i needed to see her face (laughs) sorry i just the husband popped up though and i'm just gonna say real quick that guy he for sure it was the husband because i am seeing this guy and he looks like you know that i don't i don't want to shame anyone i'm just gonna say he looks special some kind of special way you know we'll post a picture on our instagram so everybody can see (laughs) you guys can judge with us i was just i'm doing what i normally do when i listen to other podcasts is i have to look i couldn't wait anymore you did a visual i was trying to sneak sneak a peek you know (laughs) but then i just couldn't wait to (laughs) tell you (laughs) okay so they go to this crime scene. Looks like they just went to bed. She's face down in the pillow. And when the lead investigator starts asking the husband questions, he immediately says, and he consistently insinuates, she must have mixed up her pills. She just got prescribed antidepressants two days ago. She must have messed up her pills. Oh, that sounds like he already had it. That's what I thought. And you wouldn't mix them up bad enough to die if... I don't know. If she just started antidepressants, you know, they probably put her on a low, super, super low dose, like half of a half of a half. Exactly. Because speaking from somebody who takes antidepressants, they don't just be like, hey, here's 50 milligrams or hey, here's 100. You know, they start you so small. And those first two days, it's barely building up in your system. And he that's. That's exactly what I thought. So even if you mixed them up, since you're on such a low dose, say you took two of each, you're not going to die from that. Yeah, it just two will knock you out. You'll wake up in 12 hours and call it a day. So that's what he consistently insinuated. She mixed up the pills. She took nursing school. She's the professional. She mixed up her pills. And the investigator starts asking other questions like, do you have any, like, does she have any other health issues that can be concerning? And he was like, no, it must have been the pills. That's really weird. He would have been better off just not saying anything. And I think that's why a lot of people get caught. So pro tip, do this. I mean, don't do this. Pro tip. But also, I'm glad you did it because you got caught. But also, why? But it's like when you're giving too much information, why would he already plan in his head how she died? Exactly. You should be grieving and like kind of freaking out. I feel like you would just be like, I don't know what happened. Like she's just laying there. Like I tried to wake her up and she's not there. Yeah. Well, like you wouldn't think it's the pills right away. 
me neither. I would never think that. I would just think something else happened. I, my first thought would be a heart attack. Like if somebody's unconscious and something's there, maybe that's just me. I'm like, oh, she had a heart attack. That has to be. That's what I would think. Yeah. So then finally, the lead investigator is like, okay, this is looking fishy. So he ends up wanting to do an autopsy on her. He has to figure out what the cause of death was. They don't find anything in the autopsy. Nothing is found. They don't know how she died. So he poisoned her with something that can't be, that basically won't show up in an autopsy. We're going to get to that in the future, but I'm glad you said something. So this case goes cold for three years. Because if there's no proof, then that's it. You can't blame somebody for poisoning. That's it. But then in 2002, three years later, our technology starts to advance. And eventually we discover antifreeze can be used to poison people, start shutting down your organs, and it's undetectable in a normal autopsy. So when we start running antifreeze in our system, she pops up. They look at her blood work and it seems that she was poisoned with antifreeze. You know what? I've heard of that before. I have heard of that before. Yes, it's like a huge thing. And I was like, this is crazy. So I started doing my own research and I guess antifreeze doesn't taste bad, which is wild to me because you think it would because it goes in cars, but I guess it tastes super sweet. The dangerous cocktail. Wait, so I don't really know anything about antifreeze. What is it? Is it a gas, like a vapor? No, it's a liquid. So basically what it is, is so basically it's used to go inside of your engine to keep your engine at a specific temperature. Okay. So it's basically so your car doesn't overheat. I have seen it. It's normally a super bright color. It's like neon yellow, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Am I a mechanic? Look at you. I know my next job. Oh my gosh. Do you know anything about cars? Apparently I do. Well, besides antifreeze? Gasoline. (laughs) (laughs) Gasoline. You know how to to fill up the tank? That's an expensive, (laughs) expensive thing to know. Also, I can fill up the tires with air. Oh, I tried to do that. I failed. I tried to fill up my back tire and it, it just it made it flat. And then I had to go to like those tire people and they were like, oh, all of your tires are good except your back one. Like I think I let more air out. Oh, shit. <laughs> it was depressing. And he goes to trial. And his trial was a little weird. And normally I wouldn't go into the trial on very many cases, but this trial is just at first mediocre. And then he actually appeals it and it constantly gets denied the first trial he's found guilty for the murder and then he gets life in prison without the chance of parole and then he attempts to appeal it and it gets denied wait so they found the antifreeze in her system but did they find the antifreeze at the house or like how did they attach him to the murder he actually ended up purchasing the antifreeze with the credit card that he rookie mistake rookie mistake don't use credit use cash if you're going to be shady use cash and that's life tip number two Last, last episode had life tip number one this is life tip number two so That's his rookie mistake, and he just kind of has, like, a mediocre trial. It kind of just goes over how he murdered her and how he was found guilty. And normally I wouldn't go into the trial, but after he's found guilty with life in prison without the possibility of parole, he attempts to appeal it. And it gets denied, I believe, three times. And then it goes to the Supreme Court. I thought it was crazy that it would go to the Supreme Court. There's so many murders. I just wouldn't expect it to go that high. It is now 2007 and we have different advancements in technology and we can look into evidence different. And they decide that they're going to go a little bit deeper into all of the evidence of how they look at things. And they're pulling witnesses out. They're pulling different people from areas we never even thought. So then with us looking into evidence, we actually can look into computers deeper. And one of the things that we find is he actually attempted to delete his search history. And in his search history, which key mistake number two, Three. 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 My bad. No, that was life tip. Oh, okay. Rookie mistake number two. He literally searched types of poisons that wouldn't come up in a normal autopsy. Sir, 
No. So then. That's the smoking gun. Literally, yeah. Like, go to the library and search that shit. Exactly. What are you doing? It is 1998. I know they had libraries. <laughs> so, look into that. That's one of the things that he finds. And they didn't really have a motive for why he murdered her in any of the trials or any of the case prior. It just was the antifreeze, which kind of made him guilty. But they found a way to look into his email. Back in 1998, in August, when he started treating his wife differently, we ended up finding that he was having an affair with one of his coworkers at his new job. And somewhere along those lines, this is when we start to learn that why he was starting to act different, why he was being so distant towards her. And I think this was his way to make his own conscious feel not so guilty if she was the one in her own head maybe that was my own thing like if she's the one that's like maybe i am a bad person or something like maybe make her try harder maybe that's there was just that part in their like relationship i don't really know this was just my own theory also just to prove a point in the trial they ended up tasting antifreeze just to show that it's sweet because if she thought he was going to kill her, why would she drink anything that he made? That was another point that was brought up in the trial. Because if you thought you were going to die, would you drink anything from somebody you thought was going to kill you? Especially after reading the poison list. Exactly. Like, why would you Why would you drink anything? Can you taste it? It has to be like a certain amount to poison you? Yes. Yeah, so it's supposed to be administered in like a long amount of time and they can just give you a little bit. And eventually it'll just start making things shut down. So who tasted it? The jurors? No, not the jurors. They're like, here, we're going to pass out a sample cup. Okay, what did that taste like to you? <laughs> what did that oh, taste sweet? like? All right, guess what? Antifreeze bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, your organs are going to shut down in three to six weeks. No, one of the experts that they brought in actually ended up tasting a small cup. And she was like, yeah, it tastes sweet. You can add it to juice. Oh, you can add yeah, it to anything. Okay. And you won't even think twice. So she took that job to the next level. So basically he could put it in anything in the fridge. Exactly. Apple juice, boom, wouldn't taste so it. So she could pour her own apple juice. But if it had previously been opened, he could have added something to it. Exactly. So she would have never known. Just extra sweet apple juice. Which I'd be going out for fast food every day. If my husband had a list of poison, I'd be like, hell no, McDonald's here I come. That's true, but she also had two kids. Well, guess what? McDonald's for all the kids too. Chicken nuggets for everybody. That whole situation comes out. And then they started pulling out different witness in the Supreme Court case. And ooh, do I have juicy evidence for you. Back in 1998, two weeks before she died, he went on a work trip and he ended up going to some conference and it was... Super close by, but they ended up staying in a hotel. And he got super duper drunk with one of his coworkers named Ed. And he was, you know, alcohol is the truth theorem. And he ended up telling Ed that he was going to find a way to get rid of his wife. Was this at the new job? Yes. So he's just, it's like he hasn't even known Ed that long. He's like, hey, I know we met last week, but <laughs> that wife's got to go. Like, how do you, what a dick. Right? Well, obviously he didn't care about his job that much because keep in mind, He's already having an affair, and now he's telling Ed that he's getting rid of the wife. Was she a secretary, the person that he was having the affair with? It doesn't say. I feel like this case sounds so familiar to me, but I don't remember. I didn't find anything on what she did. I actually had a lot of trouble finding out, like, what he did. It just kind of just says he worked at a construction firm. I couldn't find any names online. I couldn't find anything. It kind of sounds like it would be like an independent contractor type of situation. If there's a lady that he's having an affair with, I don't think she's a construction worker. No, she hasn't like billion or something. Yeah, like so she would be like in the office part of it. Maybe they have jobs. I don't know. And they send different workers out or something. And maybe she's like in control of all that. I you can know, see that. Something like that. I don't know. But to have an affair at work, I, that's that's not, no. 
<laughs> why would you want to make your life that hard? Right? Like, like you're already having to go to work. Why would you want to go with somebody that you like broke up with or had a fight with or like had to keep secrets or something, you know? Exactly. It's literally it's like problems more all work around. than it needs to be. No, it really is. And you have problems at home and problems at work now you're just driving yourself crazy the mistress wants you to leave your wife the wife can't find out about the mistress like <laughs> sounds like extra paperwork and he has this issue and tells this guy ed poor ed man and everybody's first conclusion was why wouldn't ed come forward after his wife died why wouldn't ed go to the police or go to somebody who i'm wondering if ed was drunk too and then he was just kind of like man if i could get rid of my wife something like that and then ed was like yeah, man, like that'd be cool or whatever, you know, and then the wife dies and then he doesn't find out for a while or whatever it is. And then when he finds out, he's like, oh, shoot, she had a heart attack. Like if he shot her or murdered her, like there would be evidence of it, but she just died in her sleep, you know? That's true. And plus the cause of death was not found for so long. And I'm sure Ed was just like, that was just drunk talk. And then she just happened to die. That's true. I he can... jinxed her or, you know, like how you, I, I think you always want to see the best in people, especially if if the husband was like a fun, cool guy or whatever, he would just be like, hey, no, man, he's always been really nice at work. He brings me coffee. He would never kill his wife. He was just drunk and he was irritated with her or whatever it is, you know? It's the non-conspicuous ones that are always the ones to look out for. Like some people, you see them and you're just like, okay, they would totally kill their wife. <laughs> you know, like there's those shady types where you see them and you're like, oh, of course, I could tell already, you know? But then there's ones that are supposedly, they're just normal and... And they look normal and act normal. But from that picture, he didn't look normal. So I don't know. Like Ted Bundy. He was friendly to everybody and then it happened. And everybody was surprised. It's true. And that's what it was. Well, they ended up calling Ed to testify in the trial. And they ended up asking Ed, why didn't you come forward sooner? He was just like, oh, I was starting a new job. Like once we figured out she died, I was moving. Wasn't really my problem. I didn't really even remember him much. It was that type of situation. So that was super crazy. Yeah. This man, this guy, Mark, he doesn't make very many wise choices and the reason i say that because this is now 2007 and he's obviously been in jail all this time he ended up confessing supposedly confessing to one of his cellmates that he killed his wife and how he killed her was he poisoned her and then when she was starting to feel sick she ended up calling the neighbor and was like i feel sick and the neighbor even ended up saying that she sounded drunk and she didn't know what to do so she was going to go to the hospital ended up getting off the phone then her kids were worried about her so then he's like let's just go to bed we'll figure it out in the morning how scary for her kids oh i know especially because they were young like i could not imagine like what the kids would say he tries to convince her to go to bed and eventually she's like i'm feeling too sick let's just go to the hospital i'll have the neighbor take me to the hospital you can stay here and watch the kids at this point he panicked he ended up i guess suffocating her with the pillow because that's what he ended up telling his cellmate that he just pushed her face into the pillow and she wasn't very strong so he was able to do it because he worked in construction i'm surprised the autopsy wouldn't show asphyxiation yeah it didn't show any like anything like that and the coroner actually ended up coming in during this which i was going to say that next was it was poisoning poisoning with intent to asphyxiate that's like what the unofficial autopsy was but they didn't officially put it on the record 
like so many years later because the body was too decomposed to like say that she was asphyxiated because it's been so many years because they wanted to exhume the body but they didn't i wonder if since her like she was already showing effects of poisoning if her breathing was already labored and so it was easier to asphyxiate her like took barely any effort because she was already so weak if she was standing like she was drunk and everything she would have already been super weak and dizzy, shaky, who knows, you know. Exactly. This trial was weird because back when the first trial happened, remember I mentioned that letter saying that if anything happened, go to the police. The neighbor ended up turning in the letter and because she was already dead and she was accusing her husband, there's a law that says you have the right to face your accuser. They actually ended up making the letter admissible because she wasn't alive. But in the Supreme Court case, the judge said that we can use it, which to me, that's crazy that we have that. Like, I get you're supposed to face your accuser, but also I'm surprised. I feel like it's such a crucial piece of evidence. I feel like that should be waivable because with something like that, the only person that really knows what happened was her. And I feel like if she had so many suspicions and she was telling all these people she told the neighbors she told her you know her son's teacher like all of these people should have been able to like kind of come together and be like she was telling people that she was gonna die i feel like that should be something that should be brought forward more but who knows i guess we have laws for a reason so he ended up telling his cellmate that he ended up suffocating her he panicked because he was afraid he, she was gonna go to the hospital get blood work and they were gonna find antifreeze in her blood so he ended up just suffocating her. so at that point the supreme court decided that he was guilty still after all these years because they have so much more evidence now and so many more people have come forward they were like he's guilty to me i just can't believe that it would come to the point where so many different people would have all of these things to say and him going around town almost it was like hansel and gretel he basically left breadcrumbs all over the place to say that he was guilty and then was surprised when people were like oh my god he did it because he ended up brainwashing his family and it's so crazy that his family would believe him after seeing all of this his family thinks he's completely innocent families are like that you know i've heard a lot of cases where you just don't think that your kid could be that way you don't believe it when i i could see that especially if you have a good relationship with your family and you're normal and successful and you have this wife and kids and you're a good dad and you work hard and people just want to believe the best, you know, but just so obvious, especially after hearing from all these people, what reason would they have to make it up? So this was the theory. I wanted to save this for last. The theories, and normally I'm not big on theories because I feel like there's so many different theories and they go so far south, but they are kind of crazy. I love theories. I love them so much. And his family believes them. Oh, yes. Good. Let me know. Tell us. Okay. So his family believed that she was setting him up because she was going to leave him. And she was going to take the kids and she was going to make it sound like he was going to murder her. So she had to leave and she was going to just try to like run away and disappear on the face of the earth they believed like she was looking at a burner phones so she can hide and have the kids and never speak to him again which doesn't make any sense to me so then he poisoned her because she was doing that but she poisoned herself so she poisoned herself and she was gonna go to the hospital and say that he poisoned her and then died and she accidentally over poisoned herself the mistress was not that big of an issue him telling everybody that she was depressed that was because she really was really was depressed <laughs> It just, it, they're theory, and they like diehard believers that like she did this herself and I, I couldn't. 
I, I literally, as I was hearing these people talk, I was like, there's no way anybody actually believes this. It was wild to me. Honestly, I saw his picture and I was like, guilty. Boom. <laughs> yeah, the mustache. That's why I can't be on a jury. Same. Like, I haven't been called for jury duty and I'm scared if I go to for jury duty. And I'm just like, yeah, he did it. Jury would not pick you. No, I, I think I'm too invested in like. Well, they ask you a lot of questions. Okay. And then, so I went for Do two days. Oh, well, obviously not. And they didn't pick me. They were like, no. well, actually, they just picked their jury so quickly that they didn't have a chance to even ask me questions. Because uh-huh. you're sitting, so you're there's like rows of people. And then they'll be like, number one, if a cop tells you that, you know, somebody's guilty, would you believe them just because they're a cop? And then they'd be like, okay, yeah, we don't, we don't want this person because they believe just that it's a cop and our person was stealing and, and this, this and that. Well, that was the case that I was on. Mm -hmm. It was like a robbery. They broke into somebody's house and stole something. And then the cops came and then they tried to say they didn't do it, that the cops were like setting them up or something. With that being said, Mark attempted to appeal the case again. He filed for an appeal in March, 2021, and it's still... Awaiting review is, I guess, with COVID, almost every case has been delayed. So he's going to try to appeal again. And I don't he's not gonna get No, I don't think so either. There's no way. There's way too many factors. It's the Googling for me of what poisons don't show up in a normal autopsy. Yeah. And the neighbor, the letter. Oh, that was so bad. The teacher. The teacher. Like, lit- there's no good outcome for it. Like, there's too many people. Like, he literally left a breadcrumb. I bet you even the children don't want him out. No, the children want nothing to do with him. Children are not They're like, you it. murdered our mom. Yes. And they probably go to his appeals and say, hey, no. That's what I would do. The cellmate? Why do they always tell their cellmate? I don't know. That's such bad. Do they just tell stories? If you've been arrested, let us know. Is everyone around a, a campfire in the toilet and they're just like, hey, guess what? This is what I did. This is what I did. This. But then I always think, I wonder if they tell stories and make it sound worse than it actually is to look tough in jail. So they don't get screwed with? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I cut her. You know, like I, I chopped her ears off and her toes. But then they didn't really. And then it comes out in the case like, oh, I don't know. He said he chopped off her ears and her toes. And I wonder if there's a way of distinguishing whether it's the truth or if it's like an exaggeration. Because if, say you go to jail for, I don't know, robbing a store or something, I'd be like, oh no, they didn't mess with me. I was like huge. I had a gun. I was crazy. Don't mess with me. I'm crazy. Keep one eye open at night on that top bunk because you never know I'll come for you. No, no, you're you tough. Know? You take the top bunk. You you don't bottom bunk. You're, you're the tough one. You take the top Shit. bunk. On the bottom bunk then? There, there we go. There we go. Looking down through the crack between the wall. You know, like mm-hmm. when you have a bunk bed and there's like that space. Yep. You're you right. Like peeking down there like <laughs> or up like, oh, don't mess with me. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think he's going to get out. I don't know why he told his cellmate and there's. It's, it's bad luck. Honestly, if he gets an appeal, it'll kind of be a joke. But I mean, can you even trust a cellmate? Like, what the cellmate do? That's you know? another thing. Like, how much can you trust this boy's in jail, too? He's just trying to get time off. He's right? just like, yeah, I don't know. He told me he did it. He's like, shave off three years, and I'll tell you what he did. But I also think- and he just read the, he just saw it on the news. <laughs> right? He just read the newspaper. No, but also, like, I think there was too much detail that he told his cellmate. Like, yeah. too much detail. So, and it was accurate detail. It wasn't yeah. even like it was like, like, yeah, I chopped her up and put her in the meat grinder. And then like later he's like, yeah, he put her in the meat grinder. And she was like, she wasn't even chopped up. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. It's wild. But yeah, that's my story. Well, that was a pretty good one. Or I mean a bad one. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it was a good story, bad case. <laughs> what? I feel bad saying it was a good one because somebody died. So it's like obviously not a good one. It's a bad one. <laughs> 
Thanks. But I was into it, so it's a good one. It's a good it story. A good story. It's a good story, bad outcome. Yes. Well, good story. I don't fucking know what you're trying to say. I, I know what you're trying to say, but I don't know what you're trying to say. I just try to watch the way I say things because it's so easy to be like, oh man, that was a good one. But it was actually a bad one. It was sad. <laughs> <laughs> it, was it was a good sad. story, but it was sad. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thank you for telling us that story. Thanks for listening. I was on the edge of my seat. It's, you predicted it. I can't wait to hear what everybody else thinks. Just let us know on our Instagram. We'll post some pictures and we want to know what you think about this guy. If you didn't know the case and you saw him, what would you think? Please subscribe, like, follow us on Instagram. It really helps us out. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we'll be coming to you next week with a new case from moi. Can't wait to hear it. Bye, everybody. Bye.